Welcome to Stepping Into Health, Inspiring Conversations with Tamara Ortigal. Join me for engaging conversations with people who are shining their light in the world. You will hear us chat about business, relationships, spirituality, community, hobbies, and health, all the things that contribute to our vitality and wholeness. Although I love to talk about food as medicine, energy healing, and other holistic modalities, at the root of my health coaching practice are these questions. Why do you want to be healthy? And what steps are you willing to take to get there? Through my podcast, I hope to increase your awareness of what is possible and to inspire you to take action. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to episode 23. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Bernice Teplitsky from Wrigleyville Dental. Dr. T is a biological dentist and treats the body holistically. She graduated from Marquette University with a degree in biomedical science and a certificate in gerontology. She received her medical degree from Marquette University's School of Dentistry and completed a general practice residency at Advocate Illinois Masonic Medical Center in Chicago. From the beginning, Dr. T noticed that people who took care of their mouth tended to be healthier overall, and that patients with dental issues who focused on improving their oral health started to see changes in their overall health. If this is the first time you are hearing about the connection between oral health and overall health, you are going to learn a ton from our conversation. I wish every dentist practiced this way, and I'm hopeful more dentists will jump on board to help patients prevent or reverse chronic health issues. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Dr. Toplitsky. How are you? Hi, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, I am so excited to talk to you today and to um, tell everybody who's listening all about your form of dentistry, because many people may not have heard about biological dentistry yet. And it's one of my favorite topics. And I can't wait for you to share. Wonderful. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. So, um, so in my family, um, we have a lot of autoimmune issues and um, inflammatory issues. And so over the years, I've done a lot of research on different ways to um, support the body and dentistry kept coming up for us. And so um, we have been going to a biological dentist out in the Joliet area for a long time, but recently moved closer to the city. And I was referred to your office at the Wrigleyville Dental area and was able to come visit and I had a great experience. So I, you know, um, was super excited to have that experience myself. And I'm excited to share and refer people to you. So wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So to begin, would you, um, would you tell everybody a little bit about your uh, dentist, you know, dental practice and what you guys do? Sure. So we are we considered a, a holistic, biological, integrative whole, uh, dental practice um, that I guess the I'm going to start off with just the, the holistic nature of it, because we in in our practice, we do everything that a traditional office typically does. We just add another layer on top of that. And um, we're referred to as some people refer to us as holistic or integrative or biological. They all kind of mean the same thing. Um, there is no one thing that describes what we do. Um, I like to use the word holistic right now because if you look up the meaning of what that really is, it's really characterized by the treatment of the whole person rather than just the the symptoms of of a disease. 
And to me, that's really important because I like to try to figure out what the root cause of an issue is, um, whether it's gum disease or cavities or anything that somebody comes in here with, even for the most, you know, I, I, we, we think of gum disease and cavities as the, the two major players in dentistry, but there's a whole lot more. What we try to do is to figure out what is the root cause of the cavities? What are What is the root cause of the gum disease? Why is it happening? Is it diet? Is it pH? Is it the brushing technique? Are the, Is it the tools that somebody's using? And so we really spend a lot of time going over what what it is that's causing the issue. So we don't really like to just, all right, we'll come in, we'll just do your cleaning and we'll see you back just more frequently or come in, we'll just do a filling and then we'll just see how you do because that doesn't that doesn't really work. We we want to try to figure out what is causing the issue in the first place because then we can actually solve it. We can stop the cycle of constant decay or constant cavities, constant gum issues because that will eventually lead to tooth loss. Yeah, that's what we want to prevent. I know. I wish I had known about um, your style of dentistry when my kids were younger because my um, two kids who have Crohn's disease had um, cavities in between their baby teeth. And um, we even did silver fillings back then. I can't believe we did that, but we did. The dentist was like, don't waste the money on, you know, better quality fillings are going to fall out anyway. And um, in hindsight, I really think that having the mercury fillings, even temporarily in their mouth, um, could have contribute to some immune dysfunction. So um, I would have loved to learn more about, you know, what was really going on behind the scenes. Why were these little ones getting cavities? Do you see that a lot in your practice? As far as the silver fillings, yes, there's a lot of silver fillings still around in this world. The American Dental Association still supports that. Dental schools are still placing that. Um, but there's been a big movement to eliminate that from, from the world. I mean, I know that Denmark, Sweden, Norway, they've banned uh, the use of mercury amalgam fillings, the silver fillings in their country. The United States just passed something in, I believe it was this August of 2020, that they passed um, a ruling not to use that in children under six, pregnant women, um, for various classes of people who are immune compromised. So we're, we're getting, you know, we're taking steps in the right direction, um, but there's definitely an issue with that in general. So, yeah. I know we have over the years, we have taken all that out of all of our mouths. And, um, you know, it's um, very freeing to know that we no longer have that toxin assaulting us. But, um, but yeah, it can be kind of interesting process. Do you want to share with people, you know, how what steps you take to safely remove amalgam fillings in your office? Sure, absolutely. So Silver fillings, they're, we call them silver fillings. There's actually only 25% silver in that filling. It's actually made out of 50% mercury, 25% silver, and then some copper, tin, zinc. There's many materials in there, and that's why we call them an amalgam, which is it's a, it's a mixture of many fillings, or many metals. And we, as dentists, are trained to take great care in not touching it with our hands. We need to be gloved. We have to open it and close the container that it's in right away. 
Um, when we remove it from the mouth, we have to uh, close it in a tight, an airtight container. There's a special disposal process of it. But for some reason, they're saying that the mouth is the safest place to store a mercury amalgam filling. So mercury is actually, uh, it's a known neurotoxin, which is why some people who have these fillings, uh, they end up having some systemic issues. And even if a filling has been in there for years and years, it still leaches a little bit of mercury. So even when it's when somebody's brushing their teeth, chewing, drinking something hot, eating something hot, it releases a little bit of mercury into the body and it's swallowed. And mercury has like a cumulative effect. And so over the years of swallowing this tiny bit every day, it ends up um, it, it ends up hurting some people's immune system. Some people have reaction to it. Some people don't. And so when we remove an amalgam, we take great care in trying to figure out how to remove it without um, impacting the body. And so for some people, we need to make sure that they're healthy enough to have it removed. We do mercury testing to see what is the body burden of mercury in somebody's body right now, how is the liver and kidney able to detox from it? Because those are the natural forms of detoxification is through the liver and the kidney. So we want to make sure that the liver and kidneys are healthy enough to get rid of all the mercury naturally. Uh, we talk to certain people, the people who are very sensitive. And in many cases, we talk to medical professionals to make sure that, that their patients are able to handle this procedure. And then once we get to removing them, we need to make sure it's done safely. And a patient is draped. We have a, 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 an additional oxygen supply. So they get a nasal cannula. So it's oxygen through their nose. The patient has a rubber dam on the tooth that is going to be worked on. It's like a, um, almost like a, like a little blanket for the tooth with only the tooth sticking out of it. So it protects any of the particles coming to the back of the throat so they're not swallowing it. Um, there's extra suctions inside the mouth, outside, inside the room. There's about three or four, um, five different filters that are in the room, HEPA filters, suctions that are going because the vapor is actually the most dangerous part. It's when the vapor is emitted that we want to make sure that is is captured. So there's a big um, HEPA filter that's right next to the patient's chin. So as we're removing the filling, it's getting suctioned into both the suction that the assistant is holding and into this big suction that the uh, is right near their chin. So we cut the filling out in around the two. So we're trying not to touch the filling and kind of scoop it out in one big piece. So we're not um, drilling at the filling to minimize the amount of vapor. Um, the patients also get an activated charcoal rinse before the procedure. Once the mercury is removed, they get an activated charcoal rinse afterwards. And once the whole procedure is done, we give uh, a lipospheric vitamin C to make sure that we um, are supporting the immune system. And then we as practitioners, we wear these big masks um, to protect ourselves with you know, mercury particulate filters in them. So the assistant wears one, the doctor wears one. Um, we change out all the instruments once everything is removed. We we degown and change everything ourselves. So it's a pretty extensive process that we go through to make sure that the patient is safe, um, the staff is safe while we're removing these mercury fillings, 
And when everything gets eliminated through our suctions and through the water supply, we have a, a container that is called a mercury separator that separates the mercury so it doesn't go into our water supply. Yeah, yeah I know it's pretty involved. Do you tend to do, um, you know, let's say somebody has, you know, eight or 10 fillings in their mouth, do you tend to do them in one visit or do you break that into different visits? It depends on the situation, depends on the person, depends on how large these fillings are. If they're pretty small, occasionally we'll do all of them. Um, if they're larger, it's just too much on the body to, to do them all at once. Um, a lot of times we'll do one side just to make sure the patient's able to bite, there's no issues, and then we can do the other side. And so typically it's you know one side, then going to the other side, but it's really a case by case like anything in our office, a lot of it is customized. We don't, it's not a cookie cutter approach. Mm -hmm. And then I know um, when we have replaced our fillings, we've sometimes done the Clifford test to um, determine what our body is compatible with um, in terms of replacing it. Do you use some kind of testing like that to then choose the next materials that you're going to put in someone's mouth? Yes. Yeah, so a biocompatibility test is wonderful, especially for the patients who are very sensitive. And those who don't know um, the Clifford test, actually, Clifford is, as of, I would say, a couple weeks ago, Clifford is no longer around and they closed down their laboratory, which is very sad. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, so there is another lab called Biocomp that is around that we are able to use their lab. Um, there's other, a few other ways that we're able to, to test materials, but a biocompatibility test is one that tests a person's biochemistry with which materials are, are good or suitable and not suitable. It's, it's, it's similar to an allergy test that's done, but for a material that a body is able to accept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is such an important issue, I think, that needs to continue to be highlighted um, because a lot of people don't realize that they are sensitive to different metals. I know, you know, a lot of girls will realize that they can't wear costume jewelry because of the nickel or mm -hmm. um, the different metals, you know, and so they won't wear costume jewelry, but they don't realize that that actually has bigger implications to their health. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my younger son had a a situation several years ago where he got metal braces and um, and he's a little more sensitive to environmental things like this. And he ended up with a really horrible flare up with his Crohn's disease. And we took him to Mayo Clinic and did a bunch of testing and all of it came back um, that the Crohn's was in remission. There was no reason for him to be having a flare up like this. And um, the only thing that we had changed was that he had gotten the braces. So the orthodontist went ahead and took the braces off just as an experiment to see if that was the issue. And sure enough, it was for him. And within a couple of months, his body was able to rebound from that. And we were able to put in a, a similar form to like Invisalign to finish up his uh, braces treatment. But um that orthodontist said there was only one other time when one of their patients was, you know, negatively responding to the braces. But, you know, people, I hope, will start start to think about, you know, what are changes that they've made and consider braces as one of the possibilities of things that can 
negatively impact your body since it's in your mouth 24 seven for, you know, nine months or 12 or 18, two years, you know, these tend to be really long treatment plans. So I was so grateful that um, we figured that out and uh, he was able to recover from his braces situation and he now has straight teeth and, you know, is back to being healthy again. I think that's a very important point that you make that it's, you know, metal braces or any material could be great for one person and could be detrimental to another. And doing some type of biocompatibility testing, whether it's a blood test, like with Clifford or Biocom, um, some people do muscle testing, um, any type of testing, there's a MELISA test, there's different tests that can be done to see, is a person's body able to handle one material over another? And I think that's really important to to figure out before somebody gets a new material in the mouth and just some people are just more sensitive and that just has to be acknowledged before a, a treatment is rendered. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So in your office, um, you know, you do regular treatment, obviously you do the amalgam removal and um, replacement. Um, what are some of the other specialties that you offer? Um, we, we do a lot. So uh, one thing we were just talking about, just fillings. With each filling, we use ozone a lot. Ozone is a gas. It's a, in water form. Um, it's antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, antiparasitic. So we use it for a lot of things. We can use ozone underneath fillings to sterilize an area before the filling goes back on. We can use ozone for gum disease to reduce pockets. There are some dentists who are using antibiotic or global antibiotic treatment. We'll use ozone instead of that. Um, we can use ozone water to rinse because it's a great antibacterial. Um, so we use ozone in, in many, many, many applications. Um, so that's, that's one thing that, that we do. Um, we have a lot of different natural products that we offer, just alternatives that, that are just more have better materials, better ingredients in there. Um, when we do any treatment, we take a look into the most conservative approach. I, I really don't like to remove a lot of tooth structure. Um, just minimally invasive is is my philosophy because the the least we go into a, a tooth, the longer the tooth lasts, and so. I think a lot of it is a philosophical difference of a tooth being essentially an organ. And when you think about what an organ is, having a blood supply, having lymphatic drainage, um, having something to remove all the toxins and bring fresh nutrients in, each tooth is an organ. And so if we treat each tooth as an organ, um, it, it makes it more more meaningful of each like making each tooth more special, I guess. Um, it's a similar philosophy, like the whole acupuncture meridian system where an acupuncturist will put a needle into a toe and it affects the, the, the related organ and each tooth is correlated as well. Um, and so we, we have this philosophy when we're dealing um, with root canals, there's a lot of talk right now about what are root canals good or not good. So we individualize care for root canals. Um, there's 
a lot that we do with with people who are grinding their teeth. You know, there are a lot of kids who grind their teeth and we're taught in dental school that kids will grow out of it. It's okay. It's normal. Kids are okay to grind their teeth. But more and more research lately is coming out saying that kids who are grinding their teeth become adults that are grinding their teeth. And a lot of adults who are grinding their teeth become adults who who have sleep apnea. And so we're able to detect issues in children very, very young at two, three years old, we're able to detect if a child is constantly breathing through their mouth or having their mouth open, if a child is um, has is just more hyper, has ADD, ADHD, child is wetting their bed past the time that they're potty trained, um, they're moving around a lot at night or waking up a lot throughout the night, having nightmares, grinding their teeth, snoring. Those are all signs that there is a a breathing problem, an airway issue with the child. And the body's just compensating by waking it up to say, hey, wake up, there's something wrong. And wakes the child up to uh, wet the bed, to scream with night terrors, to do things that are not making the body rest. And so if a child isn't rested, a child becomes hyper during the day because they're not resting at night. It's kind of opposite of what adults do. Adults will just be tired. And so an adult who has an airway breathing issue, adults will wake up throughout the night and have excuses like, oh, I just had to go pee during the night. Um, I just drank a lot of water or yeah, there was cold in my room. So I had to you know, put on the sheets or I had to fluff the pillow. I had to turn to the other side. I woke up because of whatever reason it was. And so an adult won't get proper sleep. An adult will wake up, be tired, have a cup of coffee in the morning, be okay, have another cup of coffee throughout the day, um, just feel fatigued. Um, A lot of adults will have some type of acid reflux issues, um, some type of uh, even, even thyroid issues that are sometimes correlated. So there's issues that we don't really correlate um, but we're we're seeing a lot of systemic issues that are really stemming from poor breathing at night. So uh, sleep-related breathing issues that are happening for both adults and children that could be helped with dentistry. Mm-hmm. Do you find that um, breastfeeding has any impact on airway development? Yeah, there are studies saying that a a bottle-fed baby will have a more narrow arch and the baby's tongue will be in an incorrect position. And if the tongue is developing incorrectly, then it'll cause all sorts of airway and breathing issues. So even especially babies in the NICU who have been, who had their life in the NICU just started off there, um, they end up having a lot more breathing airway issues as well. So just everybody knows mm-hmm. the tongue should really be at the top of the mouth, at the roof of the mouth. So if you say like the word, the, the letter N and then lay your tongue back, that's, that should be the tongue's home. So that should be where the tongue lays all the time. So if you're going about your day, check in to see where your tongue is. A lot of people have their tongue on the floor of their mouth on the bottom and not on the tongue, on the top of the tongue where I'm sorry, at the top, at the roof of the mouth. And so a tongue is a muscle and the lips are a muscle. And the lips, 
will actually push the teeth inwards. The tongue will push the teeth outwards. And that the shape of the tongue and the lips create the shape, the arch of the top teeth. And the bottom teeth will follow. But if your tongue is resting on the bottom, then and your lips are open, then your teeth will get naturally pushed out more. Oh, that's so interesting. So it's all a dynamic of how your tongue and your lips are. If you have a good lip seal, if you're, if, there's a lot of children out there, if you just observe children and even adults too, and to see, do they have their lips closed when they're just sitting? If a child is watching television or just sitting, observe them and see if their mouth is open or closed because their mouth should be closed. We're all born breathing through our nose, but somehow in life, there are certain things could be um, things in the air, pollutants that start making us breathe or somebody getting sick, that start making us breathe through our mouth instead of our nose. And that starts to change the way our, our, our teeth are coming together, starts to change a lot of things in the mouth. So that's a lot of what we evaluate as well. Mm -hmm. So do you give people exercises to start to retrain the brain to do rest the tongue? On yeah, the so that, there's a whole specialty called myofunctional therapy. It's similar to a physical therapist, but they only deal with the mouth and the tongue, the lips, um, having somebody breathe properly out of their nose. And that's all that's, there's a whole field in that. And so we definitely work with myofunctional therapists to help our patients breathe better and to have their lips sealed better. And even for some people, just doing myofunctional therapy can make a substantial difference just like orthodontics would. Yeah, I had read that, that really, um, yeah, our bodies are designed for our palate to change as we grow and we should have enough room for all of our teeth. Um, it's usually when there's some developmental thing that gets in the way of that, that creates a narrow um, mouth and then we need braces and it just kind of compounds on yeah, itself. There's some, so. some children are just born with it. So there's a, a little string that connects the tongue to the floor of the mouth called the freedom. And there's one that connects the lip, the upper lip to, to the gum tissue. And so if a child is born with that having attached, um, there, there are certain types of attachments that are more, I guess, tougher or shorter than, than it should be. And that can prevent uh, a baby from um, not being able to breastfeed. And more and more doctors, midwives, lactation consultants are becoming more aware that if somebody has what's called a tongue tie or a freedom that is very tight, they're unable to extract the breast milk from the mom and they're having breastfeeding issues. And so unless that little tie is removed, that uh, a child's going to, and, and the mom's going to be in pain, the child's not going to be able to uh, extract milk. And there's th that relationship doesn't really work very well. And that's another procedure that we do that we look at identify in newborns and, and young children and even even in adults too to see if they have a tongue tie because that could um, correlate to speech issues feeding issues for children 
Um, so that's definitely another another field that we look into as well because it can prevent the tongue from physically being able to rest at the roof of the mouth. Mm. Oh, I hope young parents will hear our, our conversation and think of dentistry when they you know start to realize there are issues with their mm-hmm. their young babies. Yeah. Um, so with sleep apnea, then when you do diagnose, you know, an older child or an adult with sleep apnea, um, do you have apparatuses like a physician, a regular medical physician would use or how, you know, what does it look like in the dentistry world? So many times if somebody is diagnosed with sleep apnea or even a sleep related breathing issue, there are different apparatuses that could be used in the medical profession, they tend to suggest to get a CPAP, which is, um, it's almost like forced air that gets pushed into the the body through the nose, the mouth. Um, And that really works well for people who have severe sleep apnea. Um, Those who are not able to tolerate it, or those who have mild to moderate sleep apnea, we're able to make them a, a dental device that it, it looks similar to a retainer, uh, like a retainer on the top, a retainer on the bottom, and, and hinges the jaw a little bit forward. And so whenever we're pushing our bottom jaw forward, we're opening up the airways. So there's more air to be um, brought in through the nose, through the mouth, and someone is able to breathe better. Uh, so that's a solution that we do typically for adults. For children, we do orthodontics, we expand and we can do that for some adults as well. But a lot of expansion takes place. And that way, when we expand the jaw, we create more room for the tongue, create more room for, um, to, to, for somebody to have more air come in throughout the day and throughout the night. Wow, that sounds so much nicer than the traditional sleep apnea products. My, uh, I have several family members who are wearing those devices at night and oh my goodness, I can't even imagine how they can sleep with those on. We're an adaptive species that we get to learn, we learn to adapt. So no matter how, you know, (laughs) creative mankind gets in creating products, we're, we're able to adapt to different things and even sleep with them. So yeah, it's interesting, but we adapt. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, so one of my favorite topics is root canals. I think it's so fascinating when people start to learn a little bit more, more about the mouth and correlate it to the body. Um, I think they can rethink whether a root canal makes sense um, as often as it is prescribed. And I can't wait for you to talk about it. But you know, one thing that I always kind of chuckle about is the idea that we leave a dead part of our body in our body in the dental world where we would never ever do that in the medical world. And I really hope that people, you know, will listen to this conversation and think twice about whether a root canal is the best option. So maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, in traditional medicine, why root canals seem to be so popular and, um, you know, how you approach root canal in your practice. So in traditional dentistry, root canals are amazing. They are able to save a tooth. 
So instead of removing a tooth, because once once bacteria gets into a tooth, once there is an abscess infection, we really only have two choices. We can either do a root canal, which is removing the nerve of the tooth, or we can remove the entire tooth. And so we have to replace it with something typically. And so we don't really have many options as a, as a solution. And if we do a root canal, removing the nerve of the tooth, we're devitalizing it, meaning we're removing the nerve, we're, we're making it essentially dead. And like we talked about earlier, when we're talking about a tooth being its own organ system, now we no longer have that organ system inside the body. So we have one less organ. The, there is no fresh blood supply coming in. There is no lymphatic drainage and taking all the toxins out. And so that bacteria load that gets surrounding the tooth, which typically happens once we're eating saliva, there's bad bacteria that accumulates. You're able to remove a part with a toothbrush, floss, your regular hygiene regimen. But then there's some that that just gets stuck between the crevices of the teeth inside, um, between the ligaments of the tooth. And it, it just stays there. And so the body accumulates this bacterial load. Well, it's not all bacteria. There could be viruses in there. There could be funguses in there. Um, to just pathogens that are just locked in there and it's unable to be removed. And so the, the theory behind that is, um, the, well, I guess the, the, the difference in traditional dentistry is like, yeah, but we still get to keep a tooth and it's amazing to have a tooth to chew with. The, the flip side to that is that the, now the body has to take care of a tooth that is accumulating with, with, with toxins, with bacteria, with viruses. Um, each body is very different. And some bodies are able to handle that. And some bodies are not able to handle that. And there are many of my holistic dental colleagues out there that would argue that there is no such thing as a good root canal. When we're doing a root canal, we're removing the nerve, but there's all sorts of little accessory canals. There's accessory nerves. You just can't keep an, you can't clean an entire nerve and have it be sterile. It, it, it's almost impossible because of the little crevices inside a tooth. And so we're naturally leaving behind bacteria that flourish and, and bacteria begets bacteria and they grow and accumulate. So some holistic dentists say, no doubt about it, all root canal teeth, they're, they're all toxic and they all should be removed. They're a different section of dentists that say all root canal teeth are awesome. They're great. And they all should be kept. My philosophy is somewhere in between. I, I think that there's a group of people who their body, if they are not immune compromised, they're healthy, their body is able to be strong. They can have a root canal. If there's no infection lingering in the tooth they can have a root canal and their body is able to deal with it and they can go on living a healthy life. And then there are some people who have a root canal and all of a sudden all sorts of symptoms arise and they start getting pretty sick and they 
become more immune compromised. And it doesn't necessarily happen the day after a root canal. It can come weeks, months, and years after a root canal that the body starts reacting. And so I really think a root canal is an individual decision or an individual situation. Some people get a root canal, see how they feel, and then make a decision. Some people decide that, you know what, I have too many immune issues. My body's just, it won't handle another, any type of stress. And this is a stressor on the body. So I think it's a really individual decision as far as a root canal. Yeah. What are some symptoms that people should watch out for? You know, let's say they got a root canal and, you know, three or four years later, something's changing in them. What, what are some common symptoms that people will start to experience? You know, like that, that's such a loaded question. There are so many, it's, it could be anything <laughs> there. It's okay. I, I've had very different symptoms come the patients reporting very different symptoms um some patients would report that their thyroid issues got worse um got better afterwards um fogginess in the brain and just memory issues um just a side that that side hurting or radiating pain or just something feeling like something's not right since the root canal has been done um, pain since the root canal has been done. Um, I've even had people have like tingling in the foot or the leg or the arm since the root canal was done or a couple months years later, but it's typically on the same side that the root canal was done. Um, there, there's also a great chart. It's called the tooth meridian chart. And it's similar to the acupuncture meridian chart, which acupuncturists use. Um, where each tooth is related to an organ system. And so somebody can look up if they have a root canal in a particular tooth, you can look up, oh, let's take a look at tooth number 19 and see it's correlated to a specific organ. And then you can see if it's affecting an issue that recently came up or an issue that, that is consistently happening. So we've, we've definitely detected, mm -hmm. we had a patient just, just a, a few days ago that said that she was getting um, recurrent UTIs and she had a root canal that was on a front tooth, which was associated with that meridian. And we removed that tooth. Um, her UTIs tended to, to, to subside. Actually, that was a couple. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I think it, yeah, again, it is, it's, I, I love just raising that, the idea that really dissimilar things can somehow be playing a role. And um, so, you know, I think to stay curious and think really far and wide about what could be all the things that are impacting us. And um, sometimes it can be something. Well, we're the only industry that will put foreign objects inside the body and think that everything's going to be okay. And if we think about the amount of materials that go into a crown, you know, a crown has five to eight different types of metals. And so does a, a mercury amalgam filling, and even just white fillings too. There, we, we put so many materials in to a person in dentistry and have patients go on their, their way. And we don't think that it relates to anything that can possibly happen systemically, but nowhere else in medicine do we do that. We don't, you know, we don't 
operate on somebody, put something under the skin and think that it's just going to be okay. We're, we're the only industry that does that. And so we have to be very mindful about what we're putting into somebody's mouth. What material is it? Um, is it okay to, to, for, for that specific individual? Cause some people are just more sensitive than others. Yeah. I know when we were looking at other options for braces, um, titanium was an option. Do you find that a lot of people are compatible with titanium? Um, I have seen a lot of people who are compatible with titanium, but there's different types of titanium. There's titanium in dentistry is not pure titanium. There's titanium that's mixed with uh, ceramics. There's titanium that's mixed with aluminum. Um, a lot of times the ones that are mixed with aluminum that cause more issues. So I think it just depends on a lot of factors, especially when we're talking about implants as well. There's titanium implants, there's zirconia implants. And I think that we need to be cognizant about what materials are in there. Read the material safety data sheets released by the companies to see exactly what is inside the material before using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And with um, an implant, um, what, what, what's really happening that causes people to need an implant? Is it back to the tooth has died? And do you think extraction is a better alternative than root canal or? Yeah. So whenever a tooth is removed, we look into different replacement options. And an implant is one option that, for those that don't know, an implant is uh, a metal fixture, whether it's metals or uh, titanium or zirconia, and it's and it gets surgically implanted into the bone. From there, we build it up with either an abutment and or a crown that goes on top of it, and the crown is the, the part that looks like the tooth. So the implant is the actual part that looks like the root of the tooth that gets implanted into the bone. And that's used to replace any uh, tooth that, that is missing. Yeah. So I know one of my kids had to um, had a tooth that um, was severely injured and he had an option of getting an implant. And because he has an immune issue, I was really worried about that. And so we looked at lots of different things and we ended up doing something called a Maryland bridge, um, which is a great option on one hand, but it has its limitations as well. Can you share some details about bridges that you use when an implant may not yeah, be Yeah, the option? Maryland bridge is definitely one option. A Carlson bridge is another option. Um, those are the types of wing uh, bridges that it looks like a tooth and it gets bonded or cemented onto the adjacent teeth, the next door neighboring teeth. Um, those are great options. The traditional bridge, what a traditional bridge is, is that it removes the tooth structure on both sides of the tooth that's missing and essentially crowns the tooth in front of it, crowns the tooth in back of it. And so there's a lot of tooth structure that's gone. So I personally am not a, a big fan of traditional bridges because it's just a lot of tooth structure that's removed. And then if there's a cavity, there's a problem with one of the tooth, the whole thing needs to be replaced. So I, I do like to be more conservative and a Maryland bridge is, is definitely an option for those that are missing a front tooth that just needs 
something aesthetic. Um, it is easier to handle, a little bit more reversible than, than some of the other options. And so there's definitely options for patients who are who lose a tooth and they don't want to have something permanently implanted. People who have autoimmune issues, um, they, they or just immune issues, they just need to be a little bit more cautious about what's going in, what's being implanted in, because it's a little less reversible. So having something like a flipper or something that comes in and out, um, or something like a Maryland bridge, a Carlson bridge is very similar to Maryland bridge, but it's made out of like a filling material. So there, there are definitely options other than implants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then how do you coach your patients in terms of diet? Because sort of at the root of all of this is maybe some dietary deficiencies, would you say? Diet is a huge component. Yes. I think that that is a, that I can give you a little short run, but that might be a next time topic, but diet is a huge, huge component of dentistry that um, should have much more weight because I truly believe that we can avoid cavities altogether just by diet. Um, if we follow the work of Dr. Weston Price, who um, there's the, the Price Pottinger Foundation, the Weston Price Foundation, they, um, quick story, Dr. Weston Price, he was a dentist in the early 1900s who traveled around the world and did studies on or just uh, interviewed a lot of indigenous populations and wanted to know why are all these people who um, have been eating their traditional diet, they don't really have dentists, their cavity rate is anywhere between zero and 2% in the entire population. They have all 32 teeth, they don't need braces. Why is it that these people have such perfect teeth? And in our society, we have we have dentists, we are in need of dentists, we have teeth that need to be taken out, we have all these cavities, we have third molars or wisdom teeth that are growing in crooked that are causing abscesses that need to be removed. What's going on? And the, the, the bottom line was it's their diet. It's their diet that they've been eating for, for many, many years. It's their heritage diet that they've been, uh, they don't eat any processed foods. There are no processed foods. There are no processed sugars. And it's our modern diet that is really causing a lot of the tooth decay. And whenever we have tooth decay that is in between teeth, cavities in between the tooth structure, um, that's overwhelmingly, I would say like 95% of the time, it's coming from diet. It's coming from something that somebody's eating, drinking, um, juices, Gatorade, adding something to the tea or the coffee, um, something sweet, something that is that the body just doesn't know what to do with something with a high glycemic index could be carbohydrates that turn into sugar could be snacking a lot. So I encourage patients to also check pH. If we go to chemistry class, and it's, you know, one to 14 is the pH scale, our saliva should be around seven neutral. But a lot of time, most of the time when we eat our pH level drops, and cavity causing bacteria come out at 5.5. And so we're if we're just more aware of that, um, Whenever we eat, it naturally drops to 5.5. We need to wait a couple hours for the saliva to remineralize and for the saliva to go back up to about that 7, 7.2, 7.4, where it needs to be. But if our, we're constantly snacking, 
and that it's 5.5 and then in a half an hour we have something else we have some blueberries for dessert and then we have a little bit of another snack and something else if we're snacking all day long the saliva isn't remineralizing and then we just are bathing our mouths in acid and that's another reason for getting cavities so there's all sorts of vitamins that we can talk about there's all sorts of different things that we can talk about of how to um, keep our mouths clean how to not get decay but it's it's definitely an epidemic because I see kids in our practice as young as 18 months who have severe decay um, that and I see kids you know two years three years six years that just have a mouthful of decay and it's 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 diet yeah I feel like that too I mean even with my own kids who did have the cavities in between their baby teeth you know it was really popular when my kids were little to have juice and Gatorade and sweet, sweet drinks like that. Um, where, you know, now Mm -hmm. my kids only drink water. Um, you know, they don't drink soda. Um, you know, and I, I think young parents may, you know, most of them are on board that, um, you know, some of these things can really damage your teeth and your health overall. So we have to keep sending that message to, yeah, to really limit the, the sugary. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a big factor. Yeah. Um, well, I know we could talk, talk about so many different areas and I, um, you know, I think food is, you know, uh, super important and eating a whole food plant-based diet and adding in, you know, different healthy animal proteins. If, if that's something that you, you favor is great. Um, but you know, you can have so many different healthy diets. There's mm-hmm. not one that fits all everybody. So, yeah. Um, so in, to keep to the kind of time that we established, is there any other topic that you want to touch on today? Cause we can always come back and dig a little deeper next time. Um, I, I've just a little takeaway message I think is just for people to do a little bit of, of research. I think that our, we live in a, in an, in a day that Google is, you know, researching on the internet is just at our fingertips. And so to continuously question, you know, what's going inside our mouth, what's going inside our body, look into the food products that we're eating, look into things that we're doing to ourselves because we have such power over what, what can like the medical treatment that was able to be provided, the, ingredients that we're eating the the materials that are going into our mouth and our bodies and i think that we should all be um more aware of of that and so question don't be afraid to question your doctors don't be afraid to question the people around you of you know what's in this food and what's in this material because i i have conversations like that with my patients all the time and i i love having knowledgeable patients come in and having conversations with them i learn from my patients all the time and I think that's the only way that we're all going to grow as a society is to continuously challenge ourselves to see what can we do better? How can we help more people? What, what can we do to, to help each other? And so I think that we should all just continuously learn from each other and see what we can do to, um, to, to progress in our, in our own health. Yeah, definitely. And you are right there um, in, near Wrigley, in Wrigleyville. 
but, and I know you sort of have like this neighborhood feel to your, to your practice, but people come from far away to see you, right? Yeah. I mean, we have, so we're, we're located near downtown Chicago, but we have people coming from, oh man, yesterday we had a, a couple that came from Iowa. We have St. Louis. We have a lot of people from Wisconsin and Indiana, um, downstates in, in Springfield. So it's, it's, it's so humbling to, to just see that people are coming from all sorts of directions to seek holistic care. And we're, yes, yes. we're very humbled by it. Yeah, I really want to drive home that point that um, as much as dentistry should be available to you right in your neighborhood, that this kind of specialty is not readily available everywhere, but it's totally accessible. And, you know, if you're only going to go to the dentist two or three times a year, it's so worth it to see somebody who's really going to help you with your overall health. And um, I'm so glad that people realize that and are willing to travel to find you know, you and people Absolutely. in your, I mean, there's, there's dentistry. several organizations. So somebody is looking for a holistic biological dentist, dentist. There's the IAOMT.org international Academy of oral medicine and by and uh, international Academy of oral medicine and, and dentistry. Um, um, I'm sorry, international Academy of oral medicine, and toxicology. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the IABDM.org, International Academy of Biological Medi and uh, Dental Medicine, and the Holistic Dental Association. Um, those are the three organizations that are all holistic-minded. So if somebody's looking for a dentist, they all have a Find a Dentist um, tab on their website that they can look for and, and, and find one closer to their home and see what which dentist resonates with them. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay. But if somebody wanted to come to you. Absolutely. You We're at WrigleyvilleDental.com. Um, you can find all the information on there. We also have our social media platforms as well. So you know, our Facebook and our Pinterest and our um, all the, all the, all the social media platforms. So you're welcome to give us a call, email us at info at com for more information as well. So we'd love to, we'd love to see you and help you too. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Isn't Dr. Toplitsky amazing? I personally feel that going to the dentist on a regular basis is just as important as getting an annual physical. Everything starts with your mouth. And if you treat your oral health properly, it can have so many amazing effects on your body please be sure to choose your dentist wisely. None of them intend to cause undue hardship, but like the dentists who recommended silver fillings to my little guys, they don't all have the knowledge and experience to properly guide you to good health. If you are currently in the market for a new dentist, please consider seeing Dr. T and her team at Wrigleyville Dental. It's worth the drive to the city to get this kind of dental care. Mention that you heard this podcast and receive a free sonic electric toothbrush as a free gift from them. And finally, before you get x-rays again, please be aware that the shield they place on your chest does not protect your thyroid. Ask the hygienist to also place one on your neck and protect that all-important master gland. If you like this podcast, please share it with someone you love and be sure to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our upcoming episodes. If you have been inspired to take action, please reach out to me at 630-291-6605 to schedule a health chat. 
I would so love to help you develop a plan that addresses your specific needs. There is no time like the present. Have a wonderful day. Be well.